Hope you have your Bibles this morning. If you do, I know that you probably have a bookmark in the book of 1 Corinthians. As that's where we are at. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. If you're visiting with us today, uh, I'm just going through this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And uh, remember the church at court, they were saved, but they were carnal. And Paul is encouraging them and helping them understand what their role is. And as a matter of fact, we said this last week, and it's important to understand when you read the letter to, first, to, to, the, letter to the Corinthians, this letter is a corrective letter. Paul is correcting some things that uh, the Corinthians had wrong. And so it's important to understand that this letter is corrective in its very nature. It's also important to understand that the book, uh, this letter, can be divided into two parts. The first six chapters, which we've already been through, is one section. Though That section deals with Chloe's house came to see Paul at Ephesus, and as they saw Paul, they were sharing about the church, and there were some things going on, so Paul addressed those things in the first six chapters of the letter to Corinth. And then in chapter number 7, Paul begins to answer specific questions that the church at Corinth had for him. Now, again, it's important to understand that Corinth was what we have labeled as what is a present-day Las Vegas. I mean, they were saying what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, and it was wickedness. Remember, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was there. And uh, they would make sacrifices to that goddess through temple prostitutes. And there was a lot of wickedness and immorality there. There were a lot of other different temples that were in Corinth as well. Uh, But in particular, the immorality was so overcoming there that it was bleeding into the church. And as it was bleeding into the church, the church was looking more like the culture rather than Christ. Uh, Might I say this today in the 21st century, if we're not careful as born-again children of God, we will look more like the culture than we do Christ. Jesus Christ wants us to look more like Him than the culture. We need to be having an impact on this culture, not the culture having an impact on us. Now, with that said, when you approach this passage of Scripture, it's, uh, it's a little bit humorous because Paul... Up to this point, he has just had all he can stand. I mean, he's talked about being thankful and being committed. Remember, his overarching thing is commitment. He says, man, listen, we need to be more committed to Jesus Christ more than anything. And when we're, when we're more committed to Christ, we're more thankful people. We saw that in verse 1. He says we're, we're united. We saw that, like I said, 25% of the book uh, deals with unity. He says we're unified when we're committed to Christ. We're servants, true servants of God when we're committed to Christ. We are living with biblical righteous morality when we're living for Christ. He's very specific. And then last week he talked about being, being married or being single. Married or single. He says uh, we're more committed to, to Christ when we're married and single. Well, he, he's just absolutely had enough talking about all this. And so just like any good Southern Baptist preacher, he is going to pause, hit the pause button in verses 17 through 24. And he's just going to just talk about their calling and their responsibility and what they're supposed to be doing, keeping their eye on the prize, being committed. What he's, he's going to apply everything that he has just said into the arena of ministry. Don't forget why you are here. That's what Paul is uh, trying to communicate 
to the church at Corinth. So with that said, let's look at verse number 17, and let's go through this uh, today. We'll go all the way down to verse number 24, and let's see what Paul has for us today with this thought, applying the biblical view of ministry. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse number 17. He says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. So I ordain, so ordain I, excuse me, and so ordain I in all the churches. Let me say something parenthetically. Paul's saying this, I've been consistent in every church that I ever preached in to say this. I've been consistent. Uh, Verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but... If thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, uh, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You may be seated for prayer. Lord, the best that I know how, once again, I yield myself to you, only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today. Change us from the inside. I pray in the name of Jesus you would encourage the saints of God. And Lord, if there be one here that doesn't know you as personal Savior and Lord, I pray today would be the day the scales fall from their eyes and they receive the truth of the word of God and that they are saved. Lord, I pray you would encourage each and every born-again child of God that's here And if any are walking in the area of carnality, that today would be the day they repent of their sin and they have a stronger walk with you. We love you and we thank you, Father, for loving us. Be with us now as we study the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is saying, listen, you have been called. You've been called. And because you've been called, you've been called, many of you, in an ungodly world. You've been called in an ungodly society, an immoral society. And so he says, regardless of the governmental structure, it doesn't matter. Regardless of the governmental structure, regardless of the governmental form, it doesn't matter if you're in America, it doesn't matter if you're in Italy, it doesn't matter anywhere in the world. God has called lost people to be born again. His desires for everyone to be saved. And so the question is, how do we live in that world? How do we live in that type of culture? So notice with me this morning how Paul does this, how he teaches this lesson. He begins, first of all, by pointing out our mandate. He points out our mandate. That's found in verses 17 through 22. And he reiterates it at the end in verse number 24. So in these texts, in this text, Paul begins his teachings being led by the Holy Spirit by pointing out three distinct divisions of our mandate. Division number one, the categories. The categories. He gives us the categories of our mandate in verse 17. Let me show it to you. Look at what the Bible says. 
He says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. So what he's talking about here in this passage of Scripture in regards to the categories is he is making this connection to marriage. He's saying what I've just talked about before, I've categorized born-again children of God into two categories. You're either a born-again child of God that's single or you're a born-again child of God that's married. He says those are the two categories. You're either single or you're married, and you're a born-again child of God. And so in this category, there's a point. What's the point? Don't miss it. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 17. It is found in the phrase, so let him walk. You see that there? I would underline it, whether you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline that phrase, so let him walk. The verb walk here in this passage of Scripture is in the present tense, which means today you ought to be walking in the calling by which God has called you. Either being a single born-again child of God or a married born-again child of God, you ought to be walking present tense with God. It's also in this passage of Scripture in the active voice, which means this. I can't walk for God for you. You have to walk for God on your own. Uh, when my kids were little, they'd do all, everything that they kids. They was growing up to learn how to walk, and they would reach up on the couch, and they'd pull themselves up, and, and they'd try to hold themselves a little bit, and boom, they'd fall down right on their hiney. And they'd keep learning and keep learning. Finally, they learned how to walk. Then they learned how to run. And then somewhere in between, they learned how to talk. And bless God, I hadn't shut them up since. But the fact of the matter is, is they grew up. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, grow up. You grow up. You be responsible for your uh, spiritual growth. You, if you come to church on Sunday mornings only listen to me preach, you're going to get the Word of God. You're going to hear it without compromise. I'm going to go what the Bible says. I'm going to go pretext by pretext. I, I, I'm going to talk to you from the Word of God. I'm going to give it to you, but I'm telling you, that is not your personal walk with God. That's us coming together and worshiping the King of Kings and lifting our voices and praising God and getting ready to go into this wicked world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's in the active voice. You're responsible for your spiritual growth. It's also in the imperative mood, this word walk, which means what? You remember, remember, we've talked about imperatives ever since I've got here. For four years, I've been telling you when we've noticed an imperative verb. Why do I do that? I do that because I want you to get it in your mind that when I say that this is in the imperative mood, I want you to think about this as a command that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. So he's commanding us to presently today walk with him. In the context that it's written, it means to make progress with the gospel by making good use of opportunities. In the case that we're dealing with here in, in uh, Corinth, God's primary purpose for his church is for them to evangelize Corinth and for them to make a difference in Corinth and change the world through spiritual regeneration and not social revolution. Oh, listen to me very carefully, dear friend. I think we need to be involved in some social things. I think we need to have a closed closet, and we do. I think we need to have a food pantry, and we do. I think we need to have a benevolence, and we do. I think we need to encourage people to register to vote, and we do. I think we need to vote conservative, and we do. I think we need to be involved socially, but listen to me very carefully. The social revolution in which we participate will not get people to heaven. 
Only a spiritual regeneration will get them to heaven. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, don't try to be like the culture. You be like Jesus. That's what he's saying here in the text. So whether you're single or married, walk after God and not after the world. Follow the Savior and not sin. Change the world by having a changed life and live like Jesus Christ. These are the categories. Number two, there's a second thing he says concerning our mandate. The second thing he says is about, he talks about, is the calling. We see this in verses 18 and 19. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 18 says, Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called unto circumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Stop right there. So when we talk about here, when Paul is speaking to the Corinth, he's talking about their calling. Notice it again there in the text. Is any man called? Now if you mark in your Bibles, I'd underline that word call because that word call means their salvation experience. Every born again child of God has a salvation experience. I was saved on March 22nd, 1988 as a 14-year-old boy. You may not remember the date, the day that you were saved. You may just know that you were a teenager. You may know it was somewhere between 14 and 15 or 16 or 17 or 22, whatever the case may be. I'm telling you, it's not important that you remember the exact date. What is important is that you remember the experience and it changed your life. So he says here that there's this calling, your salvation experience, and the day that you became a believer. And he points out to this religious practice of circumcision. Now, don't miss this. You'll get hung up on it when you think about it, when you think about this issue of circumcision, because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, my stars, he says, circumcised, uh, those that are circumcised, let them be- don't let them become uncircumcised. My stars, how in the world did that happen? The fact of the matter is, and this is shown by Josephus uh, in regards to his, the history, he was a, a church historian, and he wrote down in detail that there was a practice called the practice of uncircumcision. And what was happening here in this day is that there were two categories of people, and this is what Paul's pointing to. He's pointing to two categories, if you would, of people in regards to their calling. He's talking about circumcision, those are the Jews, and he's talking about uncircumcision, those are the Gentiles. You say, how do I know which one am I? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And what was happening in the church at Corinth was this. The Jews thought that they would get more spiritual blessings if they did not follow after the circumcision. And so they would go through a practice of uncircumcision to try to be more like the Gentiles. The Gentiles, on the other hand, thought that they were more spiritual blessings given by God to them if they were circumcised. So they were getting saved, and the Gentiles were being circumcised while the Jews were being uncircumcised. And Paul says, have y'all lost your mind? Y'all were absolutely crazy. He says, you've got to understand that circumcision, look at what he says in verse 19, is nothing. The word is there is a word by which we must identify. The word is here in the text is in the present tense, but it is in, if you would, the indicative mood. Now remember, there's only two moods that I really deal with when I'm preaching to you. There's the imperative mood, which means it is a command that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. 
And then there's the indicative mood, which is a simple statement of fact. You can't argue with it. Uh, It's something that cannot be debated. It's something that's just a simple statement of fact. And so Paul says it is a simple statement of fact that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, when he was buried and he rose again the third day, he annihilated or he annulled, if you would, the practice of circumcision because that religious rite will not get you into heaven. Only by the blood of Jesus will a man be born again. And so he says, it is nothing. The word nothing there means of no importance. It is no longer of any importance. Here's what Paul's saying. Jews, stop trying to be like the Gentiles. Gentiles, stop trying to be like the Jews. Everybody, start trying to be more like Christ. Paul had to tell the Romans the same thing over in Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. In that passage of Scripture, he just simply says this. He says, look, you want to deal with what true circumcision is? You've got to remember it's not outwardly, but it's inside. It has to deal with the heart. Everybody that comes to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and Lord, we do not come by a religious right. We come, if you will, by the grace of God. How he died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and rose again that we might have eternal life. And the deposit of the Holy Spirit of God inside our lives, what he's saying is transforms, and it transforms our hearts. Number three. Not only do we see here in this text the calling and the categories, but now he gets to the charge. He's laid the groundwork. And in verse 19... Uh, B, all the way down to verse 22, and again, he reiterates it in verse number 24. He gives the charge. Look at what the Bible says in verse 19. Don't miss this conjunction, but. He says, this religious rite of circumcision is nothing. And the religious rite that you have imposed upon yourself, called uncircumcision, is nothing. But. Which means this is something. The keeping of the commandments... The commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Are thou called being a servant? Care for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Look at verse 24. Brethren, brethren, brothers, sisters, Christians, believers, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. The key to opening up this passage of Scripture is that little conjunction, but in verse 19, and Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth, these Corinthian believers, to remember that they have put their trust in Jesus Christ and not in a spiritual ritual. And in the text, Paul points out two aspects of the charge that he gives to us, a mandate, if you would, that we are to follow. Here's the first one. Number one, obey the commandments of God. You see it? It's right there in the Bible. The keeping of the commandments of God. Of God. Now here's the question. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know that that word keeping there means an action of obedience. So he's saying obey the commandments of God. Obedience is the only mark of faithfulness that the Lord recognizes. What commandments, Paul, are you talking about here? Well, what are, you, are you talking about the Ten Commandments? No, no, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, when you read this text in the context by which it's written, you know that Paul is dealing with New Testament commands. 
many, many imperative verbs that Jesus used throughout the course of his ministry and life. But Jesus made a statement over in Matthew chapter 22 in verses 36 through 40 that absolutely wrapped everything up in two precious commandments. This is what Paul's referring to. This is what he's pointing back to. He's saying, look, you need to remember what Jesus Christ said in regards to the commandments. Jesus being the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He is God Himself, and in keeping the commandments of God, you keep what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say about the greatest commandment? He said over there in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second commandment is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, hangs all the law, hangs all the prophets. So if you want to obey the law, if you want to, excuse me, if you want to obey the commandment of God, you've got to obey the commandment of Jesus Christ, and you've got to love Him with all your heart. Love Him, if you would, with all your soul. Love Him with all your mind. And then in turn, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that look like? What does it look like? To obey the commandments of God. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. I I jotted down a few things. I I hope this will encourage you. Number one, loving God means you know you're saved. Loving God means you know you're saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I love God, and in knowing that I love God and God loves me, I know that I have eternal life. Why? Because I trust in Christ as my Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He died on the cross. He was buried and rose again the third day that I might have eternal life. And in doing so, I know that I'm born again, and I thank God that I'm saved, and because of that, I love Him even more. Number two, obeying the Lord in baptism. You want to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself? You need to obey what Jesus said. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those that were saved were gladly baptized. Obeying the Lord in baptism. Number three. Here's the third thing I wrote down. Growing in your faith. Growing in your faith. If you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, you want to grow in Him. Which means you want to be involved. You want to be involved in Sunday school. Dear friend, if you're not enrolled in Sunday school, you need to get enrolled in Sunday school. Today would be a great day to try out Sunday school. How about this one? You need to be involved in church. Listen to me. We can work so hard. We can work so hard in the church that we don't hear the message that God's laid on the pastor's heart to take us from where we are to where we want to go as a church. And so you need to be involved in church. You need to be involved in worship. You need to be listening to your preacher preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the word of God so that we might know where we're heading. You need to be engaged in Bible studies. You need to be involved in witnessing, testifying, being involved in ministry, praying. If you love God, then you'll love others. And what does that mean, loving others? That means sharing your experience of salvation with somebody that's lost, dying, and on their way to hell. Whether that be the lady that takes your order at a local restaurant, Whether that be an individual that comes up to you at a gas station asking for help. Regardless of the situation that God has placed you in. Loving God, loving others, and serving the world. Obeying the great commandment, the greatest commandment that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. 
means that you will influence others with your witness and you will not let the culture influence you. But there's a second part of this charge. There's a second part. Not only say obey the commandments of God, but watch this. Number two, he also says abide in God. Verse 20. Notice it right there. He says this. Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Now there's two parts to this. When you read it, you see that this abiding means to remain in and has a great deal to do with where God has you right now. Notice verse 24 again. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So we see here, regardless of if you're rich, poor, smart, simple, born in America, Africa, if you're slave or free, regardless of where you're at, as a Christian, we are all free in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Oh, Paul had to speak the same truth over to Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 22, when he said this, We have have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. What Paul is saying here in this text is this. If you are a slave, if you are in slavery, and you have an opportunity to get free, get free. Anybody ever wonder what the Lord has to say or what the Bible speaks about slavery? It's right here. Notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, Let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. Thou, thou art a ser- called being a servant, that is a slave. Care not for it. But if thou beest made free, use it rather. He says, if you can get free from slavery, get free from slavery. But if you can't get free from slavery, if you live in China or you live in some place of the world where there's such degradation and such control, know that you can be free in Jesus Christ. That's what he says. I'm going to tell you what, that'll set you free. Somebody today might be listening to this as it's made its way into the deepest portions of of China or some communist uh, country that's kicked God out and they're gathered in a, in a little small room somewhere on the uh, other part of the world and they've got the internet piped in and they're gathered around a small monitor listening to a, a preacher preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that says even though you're in slavery you can be set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says listen, abide. L- look at what he says there. He says, abide in the calling, verse 22. You're born in Corinth. You got saved in Corinth. You abide in Christ in Corinth. God has got you right where you want, uh, where he wants you. Dear friend, listen to me. Many of you may be struggling. You might be struggling in the job that you're in. Uh, You're the only witness there. And you feel like the entire uh, organization is against you. Yet you're the only light of Jesus Christ that those people see. And what Paul is saying here is, when God gets ready to move you, He will, he will move you. You be faithful where you are. You stay faithful and abide in Christ. Be right where you are. Continue your journey, if you would, with living for Jesus Christ. Moving, if you would, out of carnality. Don't let them influence you, but you influence them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, so what are the results of that, Pastor? Uh, what are the results of that when, that when that happens? Well, there's several results. Number one, the first thing is you see spiritual fruit. Remember, Jesus spoke about it, John 15, 5. As John was making proclamation, he says uh, this issue of us bearing much fruit, more fruit, abundant fruit for Jesus Christ. Why? Because we abide in Christ. There's spiritual fruit. 
we have answered prayer, John 15, 7. John 15, 7 says, you abide in me and I abide in you. You ask what you will and it'll be done, abiding in Christ. Here's something else the Bible says when you abide in Christ. You have peace in the storm, John 16, 33. Regardless of what the storm may come, if you are in him, the Bible says, you can have peace. Man, can you imagine you can have peace in the great turmoils of this life? This world could be upside down, and we are upside down. I'm telling you what, what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. We have got this thing all mixed up today, and we need a clear middle C that's going out from the church house saying that we love Jesus more than we love society. Now, we love lost people. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't love lost people. I'm just saying we've got peace in the midst of the storm. Number four, you've got God's righteousness, Philippians 3, 9. When you abide in Christ, the righteousness of God rests upon you. You have new life. The Bible tells us that as we are born again, child of children of God, abiding in Him, we're a new creature. We also have bold living. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature in our going. We have boldness. Why? Because we are abiding in Christ. This, my friends, is our mandate. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul closes this teaching in verse 23 with our master. You see, Paul, in speaking about uh, this issue, about our mandate, and, and keeping the commandments of God, loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and abiding in the place that God has us as we abide in Jesus Christ. As he gives us that mandate, he gets so excited, he cannot help but just talk about our master. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Paul, now that he's laid down the mandate, he turns our attention to the master. And as he turns our attention to the master, notice that Paul, he can't help himself. He has to divide it up into two things. Is it there? It's in the text. You're bought with a price, and then be not ye the servants of men. Two things he says. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is Jesus' responsibility. His responsibility. Verse number 23 says, ye are bought with a price. Do you know this is the second time Paul said this? He said it over in chapter 6. You might want to mark it. And see it. Chapter 6, verse 20, said, said the same thing. So you've been bought with a price. So if we've been bought with a price... What does that mean? What does it mean that we've been bought with a price? It means that God gave us some things. Well, what do you mean? It means he purchased some things for us. And that purchase, what did that, what did that give us? I'll tell you what it gave us. Number one, it gave us redemption. The word redemption means to buy back. No matter how moral we are before accepting the gift of salvation, our nature is sinful. Jesus went to the cross for the primary purpose of purchasing us from the slavery of sin. We have redemption. Number two, we've got forgiveness. we got forgiveness. Because of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven of sin. God in His great mercy, God in His great love, shed His blood on Calvary's cross that you and I might have the forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you something else we've got. We also have justification. Justification is the simple fact that it is just as if we'd never sinned. That is, God declares us righteous, those that come before Jesus Christ as His personal Savior and Lord. Listen, God doesn't buy any junk. You're worth something to Him. You were bought with a price. The price of His very Son, Jesus Christ, reconciled you 
unto God. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, you got uh, husbands and wives in here. We're, those of us that are married, every now and then you and mama have a spat. Don't say amen right there. You might get in trouble and not get lunch. But it's not the spatting that matters. What matters is the making up. Now you can say amen right there. Matter of fact, I picked two fights with my wife yesterday just so I can make up. Reconciliation. The coming together, the coming and reuniting, if you would, of husbands and wives. But here in this text, this you were bought with a price gives us the idea that we have been reconciled to God where we were at disagreements with God and God put death upon us because of sin. Now through the blood of Jesus Christ, all that come by the way of the cross, all that receive Christ as personal Savior and Lord have now been reconciled to God. We are in fellowship once again with God. He loves us and because He loves us, He's reconciled us. He's justified us. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. And He has sanctified us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in the 8:15 service, dear sweet little lady sitting there, she said, Preacher, when you got to that part and you were talking about sanctification and justification and redemption, she said, It was all I could do. To just sit there. I wanted to stand up and cheer and clap my hands and say, Amen. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some of you in here that's just a little bit inhibited. And if you'd get just a little bit happy and thank God, there'd have been a lot more hand claps a while ago because you wanted to, but you were more concerned about what somebody else might do and what somebody else might say. Let me tell you this. I'm going to say this. Now, you listen to me. We'll deal with this here in just a little bit. I don't care how high you jump. I don't care how fast you run as long as you're speaking English when you hit the ground. I praise God. God, where am I at? Here I is. I'm out of time. Can you believe how quick the time runs? Mercy. Not only have you been sanctified, or excuse me, reconciled, you've also been sanctified. You know what that means? It means you've been set apart. It means when you got saved, God, in His great love for you, He, listen, He removed your sin and he put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then he set your feet upon a rock. He set you upon the rock of Jesus Christ. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart. You've been set apart and made holy for him. And what he's saying here is, in that setting apart, you still live in a wicked world. And the wickedness of this world pushes against you as you're set apart for God's glory. And you can either feed the spiritual man, or you can feed the fleshly man, but you make sure whichever one you feed, that'll be the direction that your life goes in. And for the Corinthians, they were going in the area of carnality. And Paul is saying, look, you've been bought with a price. You've been sanctified by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You've been set apart, and you've been set apart at salvation, and you're set apart today, and one day, when the heavens open, and up we go to be with Jesus, we'll be set apart from this world forever. No more to deal with sin. Thank God for the sanctification of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me give you something else. He ain't done. You've been bought with a price. You also have access to God. The Old Testament explains that God chose to make the Holy of Holies His earthly dwelling place. But when Jesus died, 
on Calvary's cross, the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, giving you and I access to the very throne of God that you and I might climb up in God, the creator of this universe's lap, and say, Daddy, oh, Daddy, here's what I need. Dear friend, you don't have to let me me get to God for you. You can get to God yourself. Thank God I don't have to go through a priest. Thank God I don't have to go through some spiritual guru, some spiritual leader. I can go straight, straight to the Father, and I can speak to God and call him my Daddy. i got to give you one more. I can't help it. Daily forgiveness. You've been bought with a price. Daily forgiveness. Because you've been bought with a price, 1 John 1, 9 is a claim that you can have every day. You can get your sins forgiven every day. And bless God, I'm telling you what, i got, I got five youngins. And my three boys, probably, they, they're the worst, especially my two little ones. Bless God, it... They won't take a bath to save your life. They, every night, they need a bath. Every night, they need a bath. It's Saturday night. I so, said, well, Daddy, I had a bath on Monday. Bless God. Get in the bathtub. Get cleaned off. Dear friend, we live in a wicked world. It's dirty. Thanks be unto God for 1 John 1, 9, where we can get up under the bath of God and get our sins cleansed and forgiven. And because of Jesus Christ, because you've been bought with a price, dear friend, you can have your sins. They're forgiven. Your past sins are forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Your future sins are forgiven. Thank God for the forgiveness of sin and daily forgiveness. This must have been what uh, uh, Elvina uh, uh, Hall was thinking. When she took her pen in her hand and she sat down as she was in church and she wrote these words. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash the blood of Calvary. Or, or I'll, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And now complete in him my robes his righteousness. Close shelter neath his side. I am divinely blessed. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Can change the leopard's spots and melt the heart of stone. When from my dying bed my ransomed soul shall rise. Jesus died my soul to save, shall rent, rend the vaulted skies. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down all at Jesus' feet. Sing it with me. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. Don't you ever forget, you've been bought with a price. The devil will tell you you're nothing. God doesn't love you. You ain't nothing but a sorry sinner that God's, God's throw away. You look him square in the eyes with the authority of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you and say, you get back to where you belong. You don't belong anywhere close to me. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the devil. I am somebody. God never made any junk. and You're not junk. God loves you. Sent his son to die. You've been bought with a price. But notice here, watch this. I'm out of time. 
I'm going to go over just a little bit. But it's for your edification. Notice how Paul closes this application. He describes the second thing. Not only his responsibility, but he describes our responsibility. Verse 23. You see it? Look at what he says. He says there in the latter part, Be not ye the servants of men. This means that as born-again children of God, knowing that we've been bought with a price, we should not be a slave to this world. Don't be a slave to this world. Don't be a slave to the wickedness of this world. How how do you know? Preacher, how would you know if you were a slave to the world? Okay, just give you this one thing, one thing, and I close. If you live under the authority of sin and not under the authority of the Savior, you are enslaved to the sin of this world. You're a slave to it. You're a slave to the world. If you live under the authority of sin and not under the authority of the Savior. You see, watch this. Watch. Sin holds an individual, a person, under its authority, holds you captive. And just as a child is under his parents or, or, or an army under the commander, then you are under the commander of this world. And God doesn't want you to be. Uh, we find that Jesus Christ, in His sweet love for us, He said it this way, Romans 5, 8, But God commended or demonstrated His love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, that is, slaves to this world, Christ died for us. So Paul, in this text, he can't help himself. He says, I'm so sick of talking about being single and being married and circumcision and uncircumcision. Let me just get down to the crux of the matter. You're a born-again child of God. Quit letting the culture influence you. You start influencing the culture. And the way that you do that is, watch this, the first thing you've got to do is you have got to understand you're bought with a price. And number two, you've got to stop being a servant of this world. Start serving Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who are you serving? Are you serving this world? Or are you serving Christ? So how might I know? Whose authority are you under? Are you under the authority of Jesus Christ? Or are you under the authority of this world? Which one is it? Which is it? The world or Christ? If you're here today and you're under the authority of this world, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today and say, don't leave this place without getting saved. Could we bow for prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as our instrumentalists come with a hymn of invitation? We like to end every service around here with giving people an opportunity to respond to the message that God has shared with us. The message today is simply this. Who is your master? Who is it? Who are you serving? Are you serving the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or are you serving this world? Dear friend, if you're here today and the Spirit of God spoken to you and you'd say... Pastor, if I died today, I'd split hell wide open. Man, I am not saved. I am not born again. I do not know Christ as my Savior. I've never truly accepted Jesus. I've got good news for you, friend. Today's the day of salvation. Today, God wants to save you from your heart to God's heart. Would you cry out to Him and say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning, I ask you, To forgive me of my sin. This morning I repent of my sin. This morning I ask you to save me. I trust you by faith. Thank you for saving me. 
I'm not ashamed of you. I praise your holy name. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name.